to the Mariners Cast, presented to you by Sports Ethos, your place for worldwide sports coverage. I'm your host, Tino Ganasius. You can find me on Twitter at Tino Junior Twenty, and the podcast at Ethos Mariners. It is August fifteenth. The morning of August fifteenth, it's going to be 108 degrees here in Walla Walla today. Uh, thank goodness for a little bit of baseball, trying to imitate that weather. That's typical of uh, Kansas City in the middle of the summertime. It's going to be a nasty one. In any case, Mariners lose uh, last night to the Kansas City Royals 7-6 in a heartbreaking loss. Uh, We will go over last night's game on today's Mariners cast, uh, dig into the bullpen usage, talk a little bit about Matt Brash, who blew the save, uh, and then we will cover uh, today's pitching matchup of Emerson Hancock against Jordan Lyles. Let's get started. Mariners are now 63 and 55, seven and a half games out of the American League West, two games out of the wild card, plus 57 run differential and a seven and three record in their last 10 games. Again, as I said, the Mariners lost seven, six in heartbreaking fashion they were down 5 nothing in uh, the top of the eighth. They were being no hit through six and two-thirds innings by Brady Singer of all pitchers. Mariners come back to tie the game at 5-5, take the lead at 6-5 in the top of the ninth, only to lose 7-6 in the bottom of the ninth. Offensively, uh, the Mariners were carried by Julio Rodriguez, who went two for five with a run a bases-clearing double, and four RBIs, as well as a steal. Uh, This was a prototypical Julio Rodriguez offensive show outside of a big home run. To have a steal, to drive in four, he was clutch. Um, Really nice game from Julio Rodriguez. The only other real offensive contributor in this game was Josh Rojas, who went two for four. With a run in an RBI, uh, I will talk a bit later as to why I think this was fool's gold. Um, don't really give him credit for having a good offensive game in this game. Uh, I'd like to see more. And then uh, Eugenio Suarez had a clutch single late in the game as well to drive in Julio. So really nobody else in the offense contributed. It was almost all Julio Rodriguez offensively. Pitching-wise, uh, the Mariners got a clunker from Logan Gilbert, four and a third, seven hits, four earned runs, two walks, five strikeouts, surrendering two home runs. He was followed by Taylor Saucedo, who went one and a third, gave up a run. Isaiah Campbell, one and a third, no runs. Justin Topa went an inning, and then Matt Brash uh, blew the save at the end of the game, giving up two runs on a third of an inning pitched. So digging deeper into this game, uh, in the first inning, Logan Gilbert surrendered three runs to the Kansas City Royals. Uh, it came on a Salvador Perez three-run home run. Um, to begin the game, Michael Garcia had a 3-2 count, the Royals' leadoff hitter. And Logan Gilbert grooved him a forcing fastball at 96 miles an hour. That was middle-middle. He hit it for a single. This was... Poor location. Um, I understand that he probably wasn't too afraid of Garcia as far as being able to um, do damage to a baseball, but Garcia is hitting 288 uh, with a 334 on base percentage. Um, 
And, you know, you should have something more than a middle middle fastball uh, to groove to a hitter three, two, no matter whether you fear that hitter or not. So bad location on that. Bobby Witt Jr. comes up, runner on first, no outs. Second pitch was a high slider, middle of the plate. He was lucky that Witt took it because it was a definitely a hanger. Um, and uh, he ends up hitting a slow roller to first base for a single that he beat out. Nice play by Eugenio Suarez, but you're not throwing Bobby Witt Jr. out on that. Uh, unconventionally, their third hitter, Mike Massey, sacrificed bunted. So now you have runners on second and third and one out. Salvador Perez at the plate. And again, this was mislocation by Logan Gilbert. Um, he missed with a 2-2 fastball that was middle-middle that luckily Salvador Perez fouled off. He was very late on the fastball as well, I might add. So do you want to come back with another four-seamer, maybe up in the zone um, against Salvi? Uh, at least waste a pitch knowing that, you know, he's one who chases, he doesn't walk, and you have first base open. So he was late on a fastball. You come back with a splitter, which has been Logan Gilbert's best strikeout pitch. And it actually was a pretty well executed pitch. It was low. It was on the low and outside corner. But Salvador Perez is just a random bad ball hitter. And he hits this out to center field for a home run. I was surprised that he hit this pitch out. Um, Salvador Perez is a weird hitter. That's what I have in my notes. He's always been that way. But Logan was missing his spots. And I think some of the pitch the pitch choice and certainly the location wasn't, you know, wasn't good. Um, there was He had a hot hitter in MJ Melendez behind Salvador Perez. But Melendez has not been good this year. He's been hot as of late, but he hasn't been good. So to groove that 2-2 fastball where he was lucky to get away with the foul ball um, was not a good pitch. Again, the splitter was well executed, but Salvi's a bad ball hitter. So KC goes up 3-0. KC goes up 4-0 in the fifth, 5-0 in the sixth. By this point, Logan Gilbert is out of the game. He threw, just to add on, on Logie, he threw a few more fastballs than typical, 51% four-seam fastball. It's up 9% over his yearly average. His slider was pretty much normal usage and then a little bit less curve and splitter because of the uh, increase in fastball. The spin was way up on the slider, 115 RPMs above his yearly average, but still not a great spinning slider at about 2,100 RPMs. It's below league average. Uh, he got 13 whiffs on 53 swings. That is a 25% whiff rate. That is right. Just a touch above league average on the whiff rate. You know, he pitched the way he has been um, for the most part, but because he missed locations in the first inning and because Salvador Perez is Salvador Perez and you didn't pitch to him smartly, I believe in that first at bat, you end up surrendering four runs total and not getting uh, past the fifth inning. This type of outing that we get, I think too often from Logan Gilbert, which is why you see him go seven shutout innings with 12 strikeouts last game and then put up a clunker against a bad offense in this next one. The inconsistency is why um, he's not an ace for me, why he's not even really a number two. I think he's a good number three, 
Um, but the inconsistency you see sometimes from him. So poor outing from Logan Gilbert. Um, didn't see, you know, really his stuff was up slightly. He His velocity was up ever so slightly. His spin was up a little bit, but he didn't locate well. Um, I know that's a theme with me, but I think that's it's, I say it every Mariners cast, but it's the truth. It's why George Kirby is great. It's why when Luis Castillo has his dominant outings, it's location-based. Um, you have to start with good stuff, but if you can locate with good stuff or with great stuff, you're going to be a great pitcher. That's stating the obvious, but it it showed very clearly with Logan Gilbert's start against the Royals why location is so important. So in any case, Mariners are down 5 nothing. You know, they're, the, the pitching kind of keeps them in there. Um, Saucedo gave up the run. His velo was down. Uh, he got seven swings on 22 pitches, only one whiff. Saucedo, to me, looks like a, you know, he's a second lefty out of a pen. I don't think he's the first lefty. Um, I think he's an asset for the Mariners as of right now, but I also think he's replaceable. Certainly uh, Gabe Spire is a better left-handed pitcher, in my opinion. They brought in Isaiah Campbell. Um, he was brought up a little over a month ago. He looks to me like a seventh inning guy at best. Uh, he didn't pitch too bad, too poorly in this game, but I don't see anything dynamic from him. You know, he, he sits in mid nineties fastball, ninety four in this game, uh, mid eighties slider and a sweeper. Uh, but not a bad pitcher, but a seventh inning guy, as far as I'm concerned. Justin Topa came in. He threw the kitchen sink at the Royals. Five sliders, four cutters, two sinkers, two changeups, but was incredibly effective in this game. Four whiffs on six swings. Um, I like Topa. And then, of course, the Mariners brought in Matt Brash. But before we talk about Brash, offensively, <clears throat> the Mariners, so they were being no hit by Brady Singer. Bottom of the eighth, or top of the eighth, down 5 nothing. Cave Marlowe flies out to left field. Mike Ford hits a double off the wall in right field. This was a belt high middle in sinker. So runner on second, one out, down five, nothing. Dylan Morris hit by pitch. Kansas City brings in hard throwing right hander Carlos Hernandez for Brady Singer. Josh Rojas greets him on a 97 mile an hour bottom rail middle of the zone fastball with a single. So line drive to center. You now have the bases loaded. One out for Julio, who hits a hanging slider for a bases clearing double. 107 off the bat to left field. It is now 5-3 Royals. Julio steals third. So runner on third. One away. Down 5-3. In the seventh pitch of the at-bat, a Eugenio Suarez singles to left and drives in Julio Rodriguez. Uh, this is on a hanging slider, now 5-4. Of course, Dave Sims, when Suarez uh, hits the ball and Julio starts running, says that Julio tags as if it was a fly ball. I, I don't mean to pick on Dave Sims, but this was a really bad call on his part. Uh, and then the Mariners close out the inning, down 5-4. Top nine, Ty France walks. Jose Caballero runs for him. Uh, Scott Service pinch hits Taylor Hernandez. This was against lefty 
Austin Cox. I like pinch hitting tail in this situation. He had a nine pitch fielder's choice. So one out tail on first Sam Haggerty works a seven pitch walk. Dylan Moore flies out to left field. Uh, you may ask why Dylan Moore was hitting now against a right-handed pitcher, Nick Whitgren. Uh, Tom Murphy was the only hitter left on the bench at this point in time. So two outs, two strikes to Josh Rojas, four-pitch RBI single, ties the game at 5-5. Um, this was two singles late in the game for Rojas. First one was nice on a uh, bottom rail fastball. This one, on the other hand, all four pitches were in the zone. All four pitches were hittable. Two of them were middle-middle. Um, I would expect a major league hitter in this situation to do something with four pitches in the zone. It was clear they weren't afraid of Rojas. Um, I'm glad that he hit the single. I think it's a good sign. But I also wonder, you know, to go off on a tangent for a minute, what is the upside of Josh Rojas? If the Mariners are patient with him, and he is able to reach the same um, level that he was at with the Diamondbacks in 21 and 22, what are we talking about here? What we're talking about is a 10 home run, 10% walk rate, probably 10, 15 stolen base as a regular, 10 to 15 stolen bases, an average between right at, you know, between 260 and 270 an OPS just over 700 or kind of low to mid 700s and a WRC plus just over 100. So obviously that's better than what the Mariners have gotten at second base so far this season. But I would almost rather, if he continues down the path that he's been on, I would almost rather see the Mariners give, you know, Ryan Bliss a shot. Because there's not, there's very little upside in, uh, with Josh Rojas, in my opinion. He is a light hitting left handed second baseman who can draw a walk, you know, and at best is a slightly above average major league hitter without much power. Um, so, but he did play well in this game. He did provide two clutch hits. He ends up singling tie game five five. He was on his last strike. Julio comes up, RBI single on a middle-middle slider. Mariners take the lead 6-5. Bench is going nuts. Fans are going nuts. Seattle fans are going nuts. Um, announcers are going nuts. You know, is this a, another big, pivotal point in time for the Mariners' season? Storming back, being no hit, storming back from a 5 nothing deficit, take a 6-5 lead. As I said on yesterday's Mariners cast, Andres Munoz was not going to be available for this game because he had pitched the last two games. Mariners bring in Matt Brash. Matt Brash's stuff is, he's one of, has some of the best stuff in baseball, probably top 10, maybe even top five. I have no issues with the Mariners bringing in Matt Brash. Um, his issue when he started uh, last season as the fifth starter for a couple of starts was his location. Um, it is still his location. It's, and it reared its ugly head in this game. Uh, on the sixth pitch to Bobby Witt Jr., first batter, he grooved a bottom rail fastball and 
Witt hit it up the middle for a single. Now, I did a little bit of research into Bobby Witt after seeing this pitch. And I asked the question, why why are you calling for a fastball in this situation? And why are we locating it low and in the middle of the zone? So here's my thought process. I understand you don't want to walk Bobby Witt Jr. Because he is so fast. And there's a, a high likelihood he's stealing second. I also understand that um, that you are afraid of, you know, Matt Brash throwing a breaking ball because it is so difficult for him to command and control. So assuming this is the pitch that the Mariners feel most comfortable with him locating, you put that aside. But then a low pitch to Bobby Witt Jr. in this situation means he is, there is a decent likelihood he's hitting it on the ground. And you're talking about one of the fastest players in baseball who beats out infield hits all the time. And so if the, the point is to not let him on base, the most, the best case, or the, the most uh, effective choice, in my opinion, would be to try to strike him out. I know that sounds elementary, but the fastball is not going to be the pitch that is going to give you the best chance of striking him out. If you look at Bobby Witt Jr., and his swings and misses by zone, he's got 63 swings and misses low and outside, outside of the zone. The next highest number is 23, which is belt high um, outside rail in the zone. Next highest is 21, which is uh, middle of the zone, but at the top, but at the top of the strike zone. So, it's very clear that low and outside, outside of the zone is the best place to locate against Bobby Witt Jr. And if it's me, he also hits fastballs this season, 295 with a 538 slug. And he hits breaking balls, 203 with a 359 slug. So worse against the breaking ball, much better against the fastball. And low and outside is his kryptonite and yet you decide to throw a 3-2 fastball in the middle of the zone it was low but it was in the middle of the zone so that pitch that choice the Mariners are not doing um Matt Brash any favors by having him throw a fastball in that count and throw a low fastball in that count you needed to throw him a low and outside slider or even a cutter right you can locate the cutter up a little bit. One of those two pitches, not the fastball. So Bobby Witt Jr. gets on base. Uh, Michael Massey comes up. He singles on the seventh pitch of the at-bat, which was a middle-middle slider on the 2-2 count. Again, throwing a slider, 2-2, to a lefty. I'm going to assume he was trying to back foot him in this situation. Um, gives up the single. Witt goes to third. Uh, Salvador Perez comes up to bat. He hits a sacrifice fly on a hanging slider that was high and outside. It was outside of the zone, was not a strike. Um, Samad Taylor, who's very fast, had pinch run for Massey. 
Uh, he had stolen second, so he moves from second to third. Bobby Witt Jr. ties the game, tagging from third to home. Um, second at bat where Salvador Perez does damage against the Mariners on a pitch that he had no business hitting. Uh, in that situation, do you, you know, do you pitch to Salvador Perez? Um, given how clutch he has been against the Mariners over his career and even in this game, uh, in any case, he hits a sack fly on a pitch he had no, bis- no business hitting. It's now tied 6-6. And the next pitch is a uh, suicide or a squeeze where um, Samad Taylor scores. Clearly, Dylan Moore, who was at first base at this point in time, he did not uh, feel the ball cleanly. I think he, the Mariners would have had a chance to tag out uh, Samad Taylor at home had he Fielded, fielded the ball cleanly. He didn't. Mariners lose lose seven six. Just ugly, ugly, ugly loss. Um, I don't fault. You know, there's a lot of people that were all over Matt Brash and the Mariners trade of Paul Seawald and you know Andres Munoz had blown a couple of leads recently. We shouldn't have traded our bona fide closer. What are we doing? That sort of thought. Here's what I'll say. The at-bat against Witt, Bobby Witt Jr. is a superstar and not someone you want leading off against you in the ninth. The pitch selection of the fastball was not the right pitch, as I spelled out. I don't like that at all. Still 98. It was still a strike. Bobby Witt Jr. gets on. Michael Massey, when he singled on the seventh pitch of that at-bat, was a middle-middle slider, was not located well. Matt Brass still has good stuff. Um, I've seen people strike out on that pitch, but not a good pitch. Salvador Perez, when he hits the sack fly, this is a this is a ball. He had no business hitting. I would not necessarily call that Matt Brash's fault. You would like to see him strike out Salvador Perez or go after him in a little different way, but I don't put that on Brash either. And then a squeeze play at the end of the game to score Samad Taylor isn't that's any pitcher, right? That's going to happen to any pitcher. That's not, that is a, a, that is great execution on the part of the Kansas City Royals, not Matt Brash's fault. So for me, you know, in this game, you're talking about a reliever. Matt Brash was the right choice in my mind. You're talking about a reliever who his stuff was fine. His velocity was normal. His spin was up slightly almost 2,900 RPMs on the slider at 89 miles an hour. That is a nutso pitch. A 2,800 RPM cutter at 92 and a knuckle curve that he threw at 3,100 RPMs at 85 miles an hour. This is unhittable stuff. This is closer stuff, right? This is closer stuff. He just didn't locate against... Bobby Witt Jr. well, and that started a bad inning. The other stuff, and then he didn't locate to Massey either. It's a location issue with him. I understand why he's not your full-time closer. I think if Matt Brash could locate at all, he would be the full-time closer. And Munoz, I think, is best out of the eighth inning, in my opinion, Um, in part because, you know, you want to baby his arm a little bit, and I think that there are other other pitchers that can do that as well. I think Matt Brash could be the Mariners' closer next year. 
if he located even slightly better. But in this game, he didn't. I think part of what of the value of Seawald was that, you know, he did. He never blew up because he couldn't locate, right? Sometimes he got hit. Sometimes he did miss with the sweeper a little bit. But it wasn't as egregious as we've seen from Matt Brash in these situations. Uh, I do believe there's something to be said for the psychology or the, the mental strength of a closer. Um, I don't believe in it as much as some folks do. I got in a long uh, text exchange with a buddy of mine who's actually a Royals fan about the seawall trade and what that means to the Mariners. I, I don't subscribe to anybody can close, but I also think that closers are um, easier to develop than people think. And people want to value the uh, mental approach and the mental strength of a closer. And really, I think what it is, is, is um, the ability to consistently execute pitches uh, no matter when that pitcher is pitching. So Matt Brash, you know, we've seen him do this in other innings as well. I think it's just a location pitch execution issue. And Andres Munoz, I think is the same thing. I also think it's as much with Munoz, the, uh, how much he's being pitched now, as much as it is what inning he's pitching. So I still think the Mariners are in a decent spot with their bullpen. I still like the trade of Seawald. Um, that Brash got a little bit unlucky in this game. He also could have located a bit better. So again, Mariners lose 7-6 to a pitcher in Brady Singer, who they had no business struggling against. Singer came into the game with a 505 ERA and a 137 whip. Uh one bit of second, and he just his stuff wasn't even that much better than it has been. It wasn't better than it has been. I just think the Mariners struggled against him. Um, he threw sinker slider and three changeups and that's it. And the Mariners just completely could not hit him. My one question is he is much better against left-handed hitters this season than he is righties. Righties were hitting 305 with an 821 OPS against him. Whereas lefties are hitting 247 with the 738 OPS. And yet Scott service left Taylor Scar Hernandez on the bench in favor of Cade Marlowe, Tom Murphy on the bench in favor of Cal Raleigh, and Jose Caballero on the bench in favor of Dylan Moore. Well, Dylan Moore is a righty, but uh, Josh Rojas. So if you would have played the numbers against Singer, maybe right-handed hitters would have been a better call, um, but they struggled and they had no business struggling. The only player that that played well offensively was Julio Rodriguez. So that was yesterday's game. Um, very disappointing. Another emotional roller coaster type game for the Mariners. Uh, Mariners take on the Royals again tonight. Try to bounce back. Second game of a four game set. Game starts at 510 Pacific. Emerson Hancock uh, takes the mound for his second start for the Mariners against Jordan Lyles. Hancock is 0 0 with a 180 ERA. His first start against the Padres was on the 9th. Five innings, two hits, one run, three walks, three strikeouts, 87 pitches. Uh, Savant has reclassified um, Emerson Hancock's sinker as a uh, kind of a split between forcing fastball and sinker. So 
previously, right after his start or during the start, it was uh, all sinker. And now it's classified as 39.1% forcing fastball in that start at 93 miles an hour. Uh, he splits them between righties and lefties pretty evenly. Uh, slider, 23% in that first start at about 87 miles an hour. Uh, throws a few more to lefties, but throws them pretty evenly. The sinker, 21% at 93.5 miles an hour. He throws almost exclusively to right-handed hitters. And I want to bring this up because the Mariners with Brian Wu, um, recently Bryce Miller, uh, George Kirby, it's very clear that they want the right-handed starting pitchers who have the effective four-seam fastball to couple it with a sinker at the same velocity that moves into uh, as a weapon against right-handed hitters, so same side hitters, and to locate it up to jam them. And it's it's very clear that this is a part of the Mariners pitching philosophy is to teach this. You see it again, you see it in Kirby, probably most effectively. You saw it from Wu. You saw it in the last start from Bryce Miller. I talked about that a couple of days ago, and now you're seeing it from Hancock as well. I bring it up because on my way home from work, I'm listening to Rates and Barrels with Eno Saris and uh, Derek Van Riper. And, and, you know, I enjoy listening to this podcast. I've listened to it for quite a while. Um, it's a, mostly a fantasy baseball podcast, talks a lot about, you know, advanced metrics and stuff. You know, Saris has been seen as a, I guess, pitching statistical guru for, you know, a couple decades now. He's one of the first to talk about it. But I got really upset because... You know, he was talking about the slider being less effective this season and the sinker being more effective this season because hitters were adjusting to the slider and that the sinker has been more effective because it's thrown less than it was and only the pitchers with the best sinkers were throwing them now. And... What I've seen from the Mariners and seen in other organizations as well is not that the sinker is being thrown less and it's only the best pitchers throwing it. Yes, there are fewer sinkers being thrown, but the sinker is no longer the pitch from a right-handed pitcher to a left-handed hitter low and away trying to induce weak ground ball contact, right? It's the pitch that left-handed hitters would would you know roll over and hit to the second baseman weekly. That's not what the sinker is anymore. That's not how it's being used, at least not by the Mariners and a lot of other smart organizations. It's being used as a pitch off of the four-seam fastball to jam right-handed hitters, to get them to strike out and to get them to pop up. And it's you see it against. Julio Rodriguez or ground out. You see it against Julio Rodriguez time and again that they're trying to jam him up and in with sinkers. Tailing forcing fastballs, right? Jamming right-handed hitters. So I was upset because I just I I heard this and I'm like, this is not what's going on. All you got to do is watch the Mariners to realize that the sinker is being used in a completely different fashion as a completely different pitch than it was in, you know, 
previous years. It's not the Brandon Webb pound the bottom of the strike zone sinker that gets 60% ground balls. That's not what it's being used for by a lot of major league pitchers now, especially the advanced organizations. It is a two-seam fastball that is used to jam same-side hitters. And you can see that just in the fact that of the 18 sinkers that Emerson Hancock threw, 17 of them were to right-handed hitters. And on the heat map, the red part of the heat map with those 18 sinkers is way off the plate up and inside to right-handed hitters. So it's abundantly clear that that's what the Mariners are trying. That's what Emerson Hancock is trying to do. And that's what the Mariners teach. Sorry for the tangent. I just got super uh, fired up that what, you with what, you know, Sarah said last night and wanted to use Emerson Hancock as an example of why that was incorrect. And the Mariners have a different philosophy. I also want to shout out uncle Mikey Ajeto on uh, a baseball prospectus who on Twitter said that um, the sinker of Emerson Hancock that he was throwing um, that was classified as exclusively sinkers in the last, his first start was actually a forcing fastball and that it would get changed. And indeed it did. So the last pitch is his changeup. He throws that equally to righties and lefties. Um, I think it's his best pitch. I think we'll see it more. I really like his, uh, his pitch mix. I think he's going to need another pitch against left-handed hitters um, to be his most, to, to reach his ceiling. Right now it's, you know, four seam slider with some changeups. And I, I don't think the slider has enough bite and is an effective enough pitch for him to lean on that as a primary secondary pitch. Um, I think it's going to need to be maybe a little harder as a cutter. I would like to see him incorporate a split finger potentially, but uh, we'll see what he does in this start. Excited to see him start against the Royals. I think it's a good, uh, opportunity for him to go against a bottom five offense. Jordan Lyles is his opposition, 32 years old, 6'5", 230, right-handed starting pitcher. He's drafted 38th overall by the Astros in 2008. He signed a two-year, $17 million contract by the Royals or with the Royals um, in this last offseason. He is controlled by the team from for 23 and 24 at $8.5 million a year. He was signed, in my opinion, to soak up innings. He is nominally a fifth starter. Uh, this season, 3-13 and 13 with a 6-1-3 ERA and a 1-2-7 whip. His XERA is a little bit lower. He has gotten a bit unlucky. 56% left on base percentage is absolutely horrible. Um, but he doesn't strike many out, 16.5%. And he gets hit really hard. Uh, lefties hit 266 with a 512 slug. Righties hit 246 with a 451 slug. His best season, so he's been worth uh, a half a Fangraphs war this season. His best season, he's he's 32 years old. His best season in baseball was a 1.6 Fangraphs war season that he split between Colorado and Texas. In that season, he was 12 and 8 with a 4.15 ERA and a 1.32 whip. So he, his best season in baseball, he was a league average starter. 
he is very similar to um uh he's very similar to Kyle Gibson in some ways not in, in terms of results in that year right i just i think of him as Kyle Gibson is a better pitcher overall but it's the same type of dude you're looking looking at him to soak up innings you're looking at him to uh to take a place in the rotation while your young pitchers are developing so that they don't have to come up and take those innings is essentially what he is. So Jordan Lyles today, um, he throws six pitches more than six and a half percent of the time. He leads with the four seamer uh, against righties. He leads with the sweeper. He also has a curve, a sinker, a changeup, and a cutter. The only pitch that is statistically worth anything really is the curveball. The curveball uh, batters are hitting 188, the 333 slug. He has no pitch over 25% whiff rate. Um, it's bad. It's just it's an 87.7% zone contact. League average is about 82%. So pitches in the zone. Hitters make more contact with a 19.6% whiff rate which is about 5% below league average. Um, the Mariners should do damage early and often against Jordan Lyles. I know I said this about Brady Singer as well. I would expect the Mariners offense to come out swinging and uh, and do damage early. So again, tough loss for the Mariners. Um, was not a, was a roller coaster, was not a fun watch as far as uh, Mariners fans are concerned. Uh, Logan Gilbert, again, the inconsistencies of uh, Logan Gilbert are why I don't think he's a top of the rotation starter. Offense was carried by Julio, and I would love to see Matt Brass given, a, given an opportunity to close another game because I think eventually he's going to come around. Um, I don't blame him exclusively for blowing that save. Mariners are 63-55, eight games over 500. Two games out of the wild card. Look for the Mariners to bounce back in this game and in this series. I will be back tomorrow uh, recapping tonight's game and previewing uh, the upcoming pitching matchup. Thank you for listening to the Mariners cast. Again, we are presented by sports ethos. You can find me on Twitter at Tino junior 20. That's T I N O J R two zero and the podcast at ethos Mariners E T H O S M A R I N E R S. It's time to take the next couple of hours to put together those fantasy football spreadsheets before starting work tonight. Uh, Take care, y'all. Appreciate the listen. Peace.